Judges chapter 8, beginning at verse 33 tonight. Judges chapter 8, beginning at verse 33. I want to read just verses 33, 34, and 35 of Judges chapter 8. After Gideon died, the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They made Baal beareth their God. The Israelites did not remain true to the Lord their God who had delivered them from all the enemies who lived around them. They did not treat the family of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, fairly in return for all the good that he had done for Israel. Before we dive into chapter 9, and we're going to get to that tonight because that's the main portion that we're going to look at. And what the passage we're going to look at tonight reminds us of is that ruin can come from within as well as from without. Naturally, through our study of the book of Judges, we've seen that that, uh, oppression has come from the Moabites, the Canaanites, the Midianites, and we're going to see the Ammonites. And all of those enemies of Israel could do it, but so could Abimelech, the destroyer of Israel, who arose from within Israel. It reminds us that many times throughout the Word of God, the Bible just challenges us and warns us that many times we've got to be careful not only about those that want to oppose us from outside, but that which comes even from within. That's why even the Bible tells each of us as individual followers of Jesus Christ to guard our heart. To make sure that our heart is right. Because Jesus said, out of the heart come all the issues of life. Jesus would say to those who were following him, it's not what goes into us that defiles us. It's what comes out of us that defiles us. What comes out of the heart. If the heart is clean and the heart is pure, that's what, what, what will come out. So we need to guard that which is within. Certainly we have outside temptations and we have worldly pressures and we have all those things. But many times we also have to guard against that which is within us. The same thing is true for the church. The book of Jude, the next to last book of the Bible, is devoted to warning the church in the last days before Jesus comes about taking a stand for the truth even within the body of Christ. Jude said, I I want to write to you about this great salvation, but I have been led by the Spirit to write to you as saints of God to earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For there are certain people who have crept in unawares, who are turning the grace of God into a license to sin and are denying the Master who bought them, Jesus Christ. You see, he said there are going to be false teachers and and false prophets that Satan is going to plant within the body of Christ, within the professing church. And they're going to teach false doctrine. And so a lot of times it's not just doing battle with, with outside. Sometimes it's having to do battle from within because sometimes what destroys comes from within. We all know this from history and even recently. Nations can be destroyed from within. Families can be destroyed from within. Businesses can be destroyed from within. Churches can be destroyed from within. And so ruin can come from within. We must beware of that. And this passage is also telling us that man does have a vacuum. 
And that you'll notice in verse 33, when, when Gideon passed away and they chose not to fill that vacuum with the one true God, then they went after filling it with false gods and false worship. Because man needs to fill that vacuum. And throughout the book of Judges, we've seen this over and over again. Where the one true God, the only one that can truly fill that vacuum in their life, is rejected and being replaced by substitutes that can never fill the vacuum. And so they went back to worshiping these false gods and these idols. And in verse 34, they did not remain true to the Lord their God. Last week we talked about finishing strong and about how important it is to end well. It's one of those deals just like the Israelites. They get going well for a while, but they could never remain true to the Lord. It is my hope and prayer that everyone here tonight, that it would be our desire of our heart and a commitment that we make to the Lord, that we want to remain true to the Lord, our God, throughout our life. And certainly, we, we are glad that God reels us back in. And, and when we do wander away from Him, that He is the God of the second chance and all of that. But from my perspective... It would be so much better for me if I just remained true to the Lord rather than having to walk away from God and go through that pain and learn those lessons the hard way. I want to remain true to God. I hope you do too. That was hard for Israel to do. And it primarily goes back to their own personal walk with God and not allowing God to fill that vacuum that only He could fill. And yet only the gracious intervention of God prevented them from continuing to destroy themselves. You'll also notice in this passage before we dive into chapter 9 that unfaithfulness to God is put in the same context as unappreciation for Gideon. Because in verse 35 it says they did not treat Gideon's family in return, fairly, for all the good that he had done. It reminds us how important it is before God that we appreciate those who have been instruments of God's grace in our lives. When we ignore the instruments of God's grace in our lives, we demean the giver of that grace, God himself. And so again, in this text, unfaithfulness to God and ingratitude toward Gideon's family occurred together. And I think there is a a thread there. I think when you and I are close to God, when we are walking with God, there is a thankfulness there. There is an appreciation there. There there is a, a blessing there, not only towards God, but I think towards others as well. I believe as we begin to walk further and further away from God, there is a lack of thankfulness, a lack of appreciation for not only what God does on an everyday, hourly basis in our lives, but we then do not really appreciate and are thankful for the people, the instruments of God's grace that he has put into our lives like Israel was for Gideon. If you have someone tonight that has been an instrument of God's grace in your life, like Gideon was to the nation of Israel, my encouragement to you is show your appreciation and love for them 
And that way you are, you are not only honoring them, you are honoring the God who was the giver of that person to you at a time when you really needed someone and an encouragement in your life. And hopefully we all want to be used as instruments of God's grace in other people's lives as well. And I think God will do that if we just look for those opportunities. They are all around us. Now then we move into chapter 9. We are introduced to this man who basically destroyed Israel from within. His name is Abimelech. He is the son of the concubine that Gideon had a relationship with that we were introduced to back in chapter 8, verse 31. Oh, if Gideon would have not had that concubine. It shows the pain that comes out of disobedience to God. And Abimelech was both ambitious and treacherous. You'll notice beginning in chapter 9 that Abimelech asked his mother's relatives to put a bug in the ear of Shechem's city fathers. In a sense, the gospel according to Abimelech was this. I don't want to scare you, but you really don't want Gideon's entire 70 sons ruling over you. Let's get rid of them and just have one of his sons rule over you, me. Look at what Abimelech does. Now Abimelech, son of Gideon, went to Shechem to see his mother's relatives. He said to them and to his mother's entire extended family, tell all the leaders of Shechem this. Why would you want to have 70 men, all Gideon's sons, ruling over you when you can have just one ruler? And recall that I am your flesh and blood. His mother's relatives spoke on his behalf to all the leaders of Shechem and reported his proposal The leaders were drawn to Abimelech. They said, he is our close relative. So the favorite son argument won the day. And the city fathers give him good money. And with that good money, he uses it for a very devious purpose. He hires a gang of stupid but brutal thugs. He visits Ophrah and butchers Gideon's 70 Sons, notice, they paid him 70 silver shekels out of the temple of Bear Bareth, verse 4. Abimelech then used the silver to hire some lawless, dangerous men as his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah and murdered his half-brothers, the 70 legitimate sons of Gideon, on one stone. Only Jotham, Gideon's youngest son, escaped because he hid. This is better than anything Hollywood could put out. I mean, it's got everything. And yet, the the sad thing is, this, this really happened. Abimelech wanted power so much, wanted control so much, that he was willing to have his 70 half brothers murdered so that he could get to the place that he wanted to get to. He didn't arise from outside of Israel, folks. He arose from within Israel. And the sad thing here is that all of these folks went along with it because he was their relative. It reminds us many times that blood is thicker than brains. Now, tonight's message isn't about family dynamic. But but I'm going to make a statement right now and, and, and someday I hope to expand on it. In some message or series of messages that I do. But I'm just going to say it this way. I think that 
we, many of us, even in the church, have a misunderstanding of family and the dynamic that family is to play in our lives. And I think for a lot of people, it's, it's an unhealthy dynamic, that, that we've got this warped thing about family and the sway that family is to have and, and the over-importance that family is to have. I'll give you the example of Jesus himself when in the Gospels his disciples came running up and he said, your mother and brothers are outside as if Jesus was just supposed to jump and, and just leave everything because, you know, his mother and brothers were there. And he turned to them, not, not rudely or anything, but just sort of matter-of-factly and said, my mother and my brothers are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. I think many times... We allow that family dynamic to cause more negative towards even our relationship with God than we do positive. And you certainly see here that family dynamic is playing a negative part, not a positive part, in what is taking place here in Judges chapter 9. Well, in verse 6, we see this solemn and all the pomp and circumstance of Abimelech's coronation. All the politicians, all the city fathers of Shechem come out to to basically crown him their king. All the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo assembled and then went and made Abimelech king by the oak near the pillar in Shechem. You can just see these politicians' grave and profound look on their faces as they make Abimelech. They think they're doing a great job. And then in the middle of this solemn ceremony, it is interrupted by an irreverent yell from on top of Mount Gerizim. And there on top of Mount Gerizim, I mean, get the picture. There's this solemn coronation of Abimelech going on. And all of a sudden, there's this voice that comes from Mount Gerizim overlooking where they are in the valley there. It's Jotham, the youngest son of Gideon who escaped. And he yells out for everyone to hear. When Jotham, verse 7, heard the news, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim. He spoke loudly to the people below and said, Listen to me, leaders of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. And all eyes turned toward Mount Gerizim. And there Gideon's youngest son was ready with a story. And here was the story. Here was the parable, if you will, that Gideon's son Jotham told the leaders that day. The trees were determined to go out and choose a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree said to them, I'm not going to stop producing my oil, which is used to honor gods and men, just to sway above the other trees. So the tree said to the fig tree, you come and be our king. But the fig tree said to them, I'm not going to stop producing my sweet figs, my excellent fruit, just to sway above the other trees. So the tree said to the grapevine, you come and be our king. But the grapevine said to them, I'm not going to stop producing my wine, which makes gods and men so happy just to sway above the other trees. So all the trees said to the thorn bush, you come and be our king. The thorn bush said to the trees, if you really want to choose me as your king, then come along, find safety under my branches. Otherwise may fire blaze from the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. By the way, the thorn bush is Abimelech. That's why last week I nicknamed him Bramble Man. He is a thorn in the side of the nation of Israel. 
And he represents for you and I tonight all those people from our past who we have rubbed up against throughout our life who've literally been a thorn bush to us. When we got close and closer to them, we got hurt. We received pain. They were like the thorns going into our side. That's where a thorn in our side comes from. A thorn bush. It reminds you and I that we need to live our lives not to be a thorn in other people's lives. To be a blessing rather than a burden. But we're also going to see tonight as we move through this passage how God does not want our Abimelechs to be the last word of our life. That he wants us to move past the hurt that Abimelechs have done to us and allow him to heal us from their wounds that they have inflicted so that our life is not defined by them and what they've done to us but by a God who can make all things new and make all things beautiful in his time. Now, this story that that Jotham shares does not stress the worthlessness of kingship, but the worthlessness of Abimelech. The problem is not kingship, but the character of the king and his cronies. As Jotham makes clear in verses 16 through 20. Please follow along as I read those verses. Now if you have shown loyalty and integrity when you made Abimelech king. If you've done right to Gideon and his family. If you had properly repaid him. My father fought for you. He risked his life and delivered you from Midian's power. But you have attacked my father's family today. You murdered his 70 legitimate sons on one stone and made Abimelech the son of his female slave king over the leaders of Shechem just because he is your close relative. So if you've shown loyalty and integrity to Gideon and his family today, then may Abimelech bring you happiness. And may you bring him happiness. But if not, and Jotham was not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but what he says in verse 20 certainly will come true in the rest of chapter 9. That may fire blaze from Abimelech and consume the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and may fire also blaze from the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. And Jotham ran away to escape from Abimelech, his half-brother. Jotham's theme here is the foolishness and peril of accepting clearly unqualified leadership. People have a strange tendency to accept bad leadership. William L. Shire saw this in September 1934 at the Nazi party celebration in Nuremberg. Listen to his words. The words he uttered, the thoughts he expressed, often seemed to me ridiculous. But that week in Nuremberg, I began to comprehend that it did not matter so much what he said, but how he said it. Hitler's communication with his audience was uncanny. He established a rapport almost immediately and deepened and intensified it as he went on speaking, holding them completely in his spell. In such a state, it seemed to me, they easily believed anything he said, even the most foolish nonsense. Over the years, as I've listened to the scores of Hitler's major speeches, 
I would pause in my own mind to exclaim, what utter rubbish, what brazen lies. Then I would look around at the audience, and his listeners were lapping up every word as the utter truth. See, folks, down through history, this wasn't just a problem in Israel. This has been a problem down through history, that people are too accepting of what others are saying without looking past what they're saying to the real content of what they're saying. And especially as Christians, we have a biblical obligation to make sure that whether it's pastor, preacher, theologian, or whoever it is out there who are speaking for God, that it better line up with what the Bible says or else it needs to be rejected. Paul himself said to the church at Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1, If I or an angel come down to you and preach another gospel other than the one I've already preached to you, let him be damned to hell forever. Galatians chapter 1. Read it for yourself. In Acts chapter 17, the Bible commends the people at Berea. Because even though the apostle Paul himself was preaching to them, The Bible says that the reason why these folks were were really on target was because they would go home, open up their own Bible to make sure that what Paul said lined up with the Word of God. They weren't going to take Paul's word for it. They wanted to make sure it was thus saith the Lord before they accepted it. That should be true of any Christian watching any program, coming to any church, listening to any message. I've told people for years, don't take Jeff Royce's word for it. You study the word of God and make sure that's what God is saying. In 1 John 4, 1, John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits to make sure that they are from God. It is our responsibility to take the Bible, the word of God, and use it as our template, if you will. And match what is being said out there with what the Bible says. And if it doesn't match, we are to reject it. Not only do we need to do this with leadership, both in government and in church and wherever, but we need to take this kind of attitude even towards our acquaintances and our friendships. The Bible says that a righteous person is cautious in his friendship. Why? Because the Bible says the one who associates with the wise grows wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. And the word fool in the book of Proverbs, where that's taken from, doesn't mean someone who's unintelligent or doesn't know anything or who's ignorant. A fool in the Bible is someone who is stubborn and willful. Someone who wants to do it their way regardless of what God says. And God says to his people, if you hang around people like that long enough, who basically thumb their nose at me, who do what they want to do, who are stubborn and willful, you're going to begin to adopt that same attitude towards me. You need to walk with the wise, which means then we need a discernment to know, well, who are the wise? Who are the godly? Who are going after God? Keep your finger in Judges chapter 9 because this is such an important point. And turn over to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 17, Paul says, Be imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and watch carefully those who are living this way, just as you have us an example. 
For many live about whom I have often told you, and now with tears I tell you that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Folks, he's talking to people at church. He's saying be careful of even who your examples are at the church at Philippi. Because not everyone that comes to the church at Philippi is worthy following. Worthy being an example that you should follow. If you follow them, they're going to lead you away from God, not towards God. In fact, he goes on to say, he describes them this way. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly. They exalt in their shame and they think about earthly things. Be careful, folks. We need to be a discerning people today. If the leaders of Shechem had been discerning, they would have never put Abimelech in power. They would have never given him the freedom and the money to go out and murder Gideon's 70 sons. They wouldn't have plunged Israel into further decay. But they lacked discernment. And I've told folks here for months that we are living in the last days. And one of the reasons, folks, we are living in the last days is because the further we get, or the closer we get to the return of Christ the more it shows up on the world stage that we have a void of leadership. We have a void of leadership at every level. People can't figure things out. They don't have the answers. It's because they're not turning to the only one who really does have the answer for everything, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be careful today and not be duped And not be so gullible. God wants us to think. And think critically. And make sure that what we're hearing is truly what the Bible says. And then back to Judges chapter 9. As Jotham declares in verse 20 of chapter 9, that's exactly what happens. I don't want to take time to read it all tonight. But from chapter 9 verse 22 through the rest of the chapter... Basically, Abimelech destroys the people of Shechem, and the people of Shechem destroy Abimelech. In other words, evil is destroying evil. And Judges 9 teaches us something very important. There is no fellowship in evil. Evil has no lasting cohesion. It does not care for its own. It only uses its own. In fact, you can see this in living color In the book of Revelation, in chapter 17, which depicts one day how the Antichrist and his cronies will hate and consume the very anti-God culture that they have created and nourished. And that's exactly what happens throughout the rest of the book of Judges. It reminded me of a verse in the book of Galatians. I'm just going to turn there. You don't have to turn there. Take time to do it. But it reminds me of a verse in Galatians. It says, however, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. And there Paul was writing to the church at Galatia. He says, be careful, Christians, that if you start to turn on each other and bite and devour each other, you're going to consume each other. That's why even Jesus, and and what he said even applies here to what went on with the judges, is that if you're going to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And Abimelech lived by the sword, and the men of Shechem lived by the sword, and they ended up destroying each other. It's a fascinating story, and I hope that you'll go home and read the rest of Judges chapter 9. But I want to jump ahead, for time's sake, all the way down to verse 46. 
where Abimelech has attacked the people of Shechem. He leveled the city and some of the leaders then heard and, and they went to a stronghold of the temple of El Bareth. It reminded me, folks, that our stronghold is the Lord Jesus Christ and any other stronghold will not be a stronghold. That's why Proverbs says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who run to it are set safely on high. Jesus Christ needs to be our stronghold, our security, our stability in life. Abimelech heard that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were in one place. He and all his men went up on Mount Zalman. He took an axe in his hand, cut off a tree branch, put it on his shoulder and said to his men, quickly do what you've just seen me do. He's very resourceful. Each of his men also cut off a branch and follow Abimelech. They put the branches against the stronghold and set fire to it. All the people of the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech moved on to a place called Thebes. He besieged and captured it. There was a fortified tower in the center of the city. So all the men and women, as well as the city leaders, ran into it and locked the entrance. They went up to the roof of the tower. Abimelech came and attacked the tower. And when he approached the entrance of the tower to set it on fire, a woman threw an upper millstone down on his head and shattered his skull. She had a crush on him. I'm sorry, I just had to say that. That was bad. It reminds us back of J.L., right? That gal that put a stake through uh, the general's head. So Abimelech gets so far, but then finally this gal just says, I've had enough. I'm throwing a millstone down on his head. And, And let's not forget, in the mentality of the time, there was no worse fate than being dispatched by a woman. That's why Abimelech pleaded for his armor bearer in verse 54 to finish him off. At least then the Shechem newspapers couldn't officially say a woman killed him. Notice he says in verse 54, he quickly called the young man who carried his weapons, draw your sword and kill me so they will not say a woman killed me. So the young man stabbed him and he died. I don't care what difference he makes. He's off the scene. He's dead. And Here lies, with the passing of Abimelech, a comfort for God's beleaguered people. He who touches the flock of God, Zechariah the prophet says, touches the apple of God's eye. God does not abandon his people to their Abimelechs, but keeps his people from utterly being destroyed by them. Yes, in the freedom that God gives us to live our lives... There is a certain point where God gives people free will. And we will get hurt by the Abimelechs out there. The thorn bushes, if you will. But God will also make sure that there's an end to what Abimelechs can do to us. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. If you don't know that verse, write that verse down. The prophet says, If someone touches you, As a child of God, they are touching the apple of God's eye. That's how much God thinks of you. And so he won't allow the Abimelechs to go on forever. That's why notice in verse 56 and 57, clearly God was behind what happened in chapter 9. 
Because it tells us God repaid Abimelech for the evil he did to his father by murdering his 70 half-brothers. God also repaid the men of Shechem for their evil deeds. It reminds us of what Paul said in Romans 12. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So don't take vengeance into your own hands. Give place for God's wrath and let God take care of these people in our lives. God says overcome evil with good. God says love our enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use us. But that doesn't mean they get away with anything. That simply means we are taking the vengeance and revenge that we may want to personally inflict on them and we are entrusting it by faith to God and we are saying, God, you are big enough, you are strong enough, you are wise enough to do what you need to do to them. I'm going to just place them in your hands, God. You deal with them. I'm staying out of it. And when you and I do that, our lives are just so much better off than trying to engage in a life of personal revenge and vengeance. In chapter 10, I just want to introduce you here tonight before we wrap this up to what I call a couple of minors. I doubt that Tola and Jair are on your list of favorite Bible characters. We don't know enough about them to make them our favorites. Tola and Jair are minor judges because they receive less ink, less space in the story. A fact which does not mean they are of no importance. In fact, there is little difference in function between the major and minor judges. What do we know about Tola and Jair? That their saving work, whatever it was, came after Abimelech. After the destroyer of Israel had done his worst. After the chaos he caused. After the infamous treachery against Gideon's family. After that, God raises up Tola and Jair for a saving mission. It is God's way. After the valley of the shadow to anoint our heads with oil. After sorrow and sighing to grant joy and gladness. God is the gracious God who never allows our Abimelechs to be the last word for his people. If you have an Abimelech in your life, my encouragement to you tonight is let him go and give him to God. Don't allow the pain, the hurt that they have inflicted on you to be what defines your life. Don't give them that power. You let God alone define your life. And decide what your life is going to be. Who you're going to become. And put yourself squarely in God's hands. And don't let those folks like those Abimelechs in your life. Those thorn bushes. To continually drag you down. And discourage you. God doesn't want that to happen in your life or my life. One may experience sorrow during the night. The Bible says in Psalm 30. But joy arrives in the morning. David said, you turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and covered me with joy. So now my heart will sing to you and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will always give thanks to you. I just want to say here tonight, before I share with you another thing that I have for you tonight from my heart. You folks at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship will never know how you have been instruments of God's grace in my life in the last three and a half years. Many of you know my story of how I came through a very 
hurtful experience at the church that I was at back in New York. And after New York, after my Abimelech experience, God brought me to Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Chandler, Arizona to be encouraged and to be healed. And I will be forever grateful to God for doing that and for allowing me to to be with folks like you and for you to be such an encouragement to me that just by your attendance, I may not know you personally, but just by the fact that you come here on Tuesday night to soak up the Word of God, you don't know how that continues to encourage me and provide that after Abimelech experience to me so that that wasn't the last word. That wasn't the last chapter of my life. And I can't wait to see what God does throughout the rest of the book of my life. And I hope you are looking forward to that as well. Hey, I know that there's times in our life where people really hurt us and hurt us very deeply. Sometimes the people that are closest to us. Jesus knows what that's like. Judas, one of his own disciples, betrayed him. But God does not want our Abimelechs and our Judases to define our life. God wants us to, through his power and strength and healing, to move past that. And I hope that you will begin to maybe allow him to do that. And then also again tonight, let's be reminded, God help us not to be an Abimelech in someone else's life. Not to be a thorn bush. Not to be a burden but to be a blessing and an instrument of God's grace. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for uh, just, Lord, the reminders and the encouragement that you give us from your spirit, from your people, from your word. God, tonight we have seen the damage that, that an Abimelech can do in a nation We've seen probably, Lord, the damage that Abimelechs can do in our lives and in our families, in our businesses, in our churches. The Bible says one sinner can destroy much good. So God, give us discernment. Help us to put the right leadership in place. Help us to follow the right leaders Help us to have the right acquaintances and the, the, the right friendships. Help us to walk with the wise so that we may grow wiser. Help us, Lord. And help us not to be a thorn in the side of someone else. And Lord, if someone has been a thorn and brought pain in our lives, God, even tonight, begin to bring healing to that life. Begin to show them that, Lord, their life does not end on that chapter. That their life can move on and become still all that you created them to be, even though someone else may have knocked them down and caused them great pain. Lord, you are the God who is there to pick us up and to move us forward with you. God, encourage us as only you can do. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you. Get a card on your way out. See you in a couple weeks.